The Godfather is talking Steelers. What a leaping grab by Antonio Brown on the near sideline. Incredible. Comes to the sideline. Intercepted on a leaping interception by TJ Watt. It's all Steelers with Stan Zavris. Zavrin on Steelers. On ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Uh, There's been a couple of instances now uh, where you've asked me about Antonio regarding some social media-like things. I'll address that and address that very directly with him, but I'll leave that between he and I. I'm not going to utilize this form form to address such things. I just don't believe it's appropriate. I I think that this form is a very professional one. Well, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, said it was uh, a personal reason, but nobody informed the Steelers that he would be absent. So uh, I think that's uh, an agent trying to make... Uh, a better light of why he missed practice. I think, hey, nobody knows for sure, but um, I, I think he just blew it off because he's he's been upset. Sit suspended for the first three regular season games. Fitzpatrick going deep to the short traction on the first play from scrimmage. The former Eagle is inside the ten and takes it all the way, 75 yards for a Buccaneers touchdown. His magic comes out, he's doing all these great things. But what about their running game? They can't run the ball. You're not going to be able to air it out all year. Now, we always know the passing game is always ahead of the running game in September. Then it kind of catches up a little bit in October. Then come November, you have to lean on somebody at the running back to shorten these games up. Can the Buccaneers do it? I don't know. And then their defense, they've been playing better, but you need to see more. Pittsburgh scores right off the face off the long shot from the point. I don't know if it went straight in or not. The shot was taken by Will O'Neill. Yeah, it looks like the puck was up and off the ice a little bit when it did go into the net, so it might have hit something in front. And he does it! Ryan Lafarnway! Can you believe it? The 31-year-old veteran spent the year in the minors. His second at bat in the big leagues this year, his first career walk-off hit, raises the Jolly Roger. Where you lead, I will follow anywhere that you tell me to. If you need, you need me to be with you, I will follow where you lead. It's time for Severin on Sports. This, what the Steelers are going through, is really going to test the leadership abilities of Mike Tomlin. I didn't say coaching, X's and O's. There's a lot of work to be done there, to say the least. But in terms of leadership, and if you look at his track record in that regard, I know many of you think that he's failed that test, no matter what I tell you, it's not going to change your mind. It's not intended to change your mind. It's just a matter of looking at fact. And that Tomlin has done a pretty good job of keeping a team together. Didn't always win. Didn't always make the playoffs. But the bottom never dropped out. As you see it happen to some teams, this may be one of those times. A.B. was in the house today participating in whatever Is he back in the Steelers' good graces? We have no inclination at this point. What, if anything, was done with him from a punishment standpoint? So I don't know. 
He could practice all week, and Steve, uh, Tama could deactivate him Monday, which is what I've been calling for. Is he back in your good graces merely because he showed up? And the company line is, well, you know, A.B., just competitive, he wants to win. Well, I got news for you. There are 52 other guys in that locker room. They want to win just as badly as he does. The coaching staff obviously do. They care. So pawning off Antonio Brown's behavior and, oh, he's just a competitor. He wants to win. I'm sorry. Not good enough. I think one of the shocking things for Steeler fans is, until very recently, they're just not used to it. This kind of behavior. And I think that's part of the issue. I think part of the issue is that never happened in Pittsburgh before. Not even in the early years of Tomlin. And I think that's why so many people are reacting the way they're reacting. I mentioned yesterday, and I believe this, if somebody lit a match at the point, the whole city would incinerate. That's, I don't know that I've ever seen it like this before. And it's because they haven't won a game, but it's also because of all the other stuff that's going on, largely because just not used to it. Nationally, the Steelers, because this doesn't happen around here, are a topic for everybody. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk and NBC's Sunday Night Football will join us today at 1220. Jerry Dulac has been at the Steelers facility. He'll be joining us at 1 o'clock talking about that. Rob King will be our guest at 120. We'll talk about the Steelers, but also maybe a little bit of Penguins. They played their first exhibition game last night, lost 3-2. to two. This new Finnish defenseman, though, Rukolo, if I'm pronouncing that right, they say he's been very impressive in camp. He scored a goal last night. And the Pirates, two walk-offs in a row. I know it's against Kansas City, but they have won 10 of their last 13. Got a trivia question for you today. It involves Major League Baseball. Here's how you get involved. 412-922-2874. Pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, stansaverin at iheartmedia.com. Post on Facebook, Saverin on Sports. And you can tweet, at Stan, love the show. Did I miss anything? Did I get everybody? I get everything? So, Jeremy on Facebook says, Stan must not have been watching the last six years. Oh, I watch probably more astutely and closely than you do, Jeremy. And somebody wants me to explain how I can say that Tomlin has a good track record in keeping a team together. I'm not saying he's the best coach in the NFL. He's not. Mark says, good track record? Stan, I'd like to hear you explain this. Okay, here it is. Here's what I'm talking about. Steelers' seasons didn't always end up the way they or you wanted it to. And sometimes they had better talent than their record. Sometimes injuries were involved. Whatever the reason. 
But Tomlin, who's never had a losing record, hasn't always made the playoffs, right? But never had a losing record. And part of that is because even when there were issues either on the field or in the locker room, more now than then, he's managed to keep the team together. This is what I'm talking about. This is not an endorsement. I know many of you want him fired. I get that. I don't agree with that at this point. But just one one caveat. I mentioned on Monday's show that if this performance, let alone the locker room stuff, but if this performance continues, then I do think it's completely legitimate, not now, later in the season or after the season, to talk about changes. Defensive coordinator, head coach, absolutely that would be a legitimate conversation. I don't think after two games, I think you're fooling yourself. It's not going to happen. Why waste your breath? Here's my point. Going back 2009, the Steelers started out 1-2. and I remember. It was after they won the Super Bowl, right? People were not happy around here. They won their next five. Now, they only finished 9-7, and but I remember distinctly, maybe you do too, I was watching closely, Jeremy, I assure you. They were wobbling at 1-2. and They won their next five. In 2011, they started out 2-2. Two and two. They won their next four and ended up 12-4. and four. They lost to the Broncos, Tim Tebow, but my point is things were teetering. That was after another Super Bowl appearance. By the way, the problems in the secondary were evident then. But they won their next four to right the ship. This is all I'm talking about. Other teams, when they start out badly, you you can see what's, what's going to happen next. That hasn't happened under him. 2012, they started out two and three, losing record after five. They won the next four, only finished eight and eight. but almost made the playoffs. Ryan Suckup comes to mind. 2013, not a good year overall, but they started the year 0-4, were 2-6, and and then won six of the last eight. Though they didn't get where they wanted to go, but you're sitting there at 2-6, and six, especially on a team that's used to winning, you're not that far away from a 4-12. and 12. They won six of the last eight. 2014, they started out only 3-3. Three and three. Around here, that's not good enough. They finished 8-2 and two and ended up the season at 11-5 in the playoffs. 2015, they started out 4-4. Four and four. People were ready to have a torchlight parade. They won six of the last eight and finished 10-6 and six and made the playoffs. 2016, they were 4-5. and five. They then won seven in a row to finish 11-5. and five. Now, again, the record wasn't always what you wanted, what they wanted, and the ends to the season have been disappointing, losing in the playoffs whether it's in the first round like last year, which was a disgrace, or in an AFC championship game, or even losing in the Super Bowl 2010, 
I always look at, hey, if I can get to the Super Bowl, I'll, I'll worry about winning that game when I get there. So there, Mark, since you'd like to hear me explain, I just did. Now, that's, again, not an endorsement of what's going on now, but if you're looking at this team, which hey, I think is at a crossroads, I do think Monday night's game, I don't think it's it ends the season if they lose, but I do think it's a crossroads game. And I've asked the question, if they do win Monday night, whether A.B. plays or not, I suspect that he will. We haven't heard anything to the contrary. We'll see. Will everything be okay? I mean, they've got a chance, if they are able to beat Tampa Bay Monday night, to get Baltimore at home. I know Baltimore usually gives them a rough time. Uh, I've seen Baltimore play twice, and I'm not impressed. Then Atlanta comes here. And Atlanta's a good team, but they're also, they've really been hit hard by injuries. And that game's in Pittsburgh. And I know that didn't mean anything last Sunday. But, I mean, they got a chance to dig themselves out. And the whole purpose of the exercise is to say that whatever negatives Tomlin has, and there are some, many if you prefer, not all bad like some of you think, it's that he keeps a team together. And while lost Monday night would be big trouble. But I don't think that that would necessarily wipe them out because I don't think Baltimore's that good. And Cincinnati, if you're thinking about the division, I still say um, they're going to have to prove to me that Bengals is not spelled with a U as the second letter. Now, a couple of your comments uh, on the issue. I'm going to get to A.B. a little bit later on. Greg Post, the media are a bunch of SJWs. I don't know what that means. You know what that means? It's not complimentary, I take it. They know Tomlin should be fired, but since he's the Rooney Rule coach, they dance on the issue of firing Tomlin. So Greg wants to bring race into it. That's not surprising. It's a factor. I hear it from some people, read it from some people in comments they send to me all the time. Does anybody really think that Art Rooney would continue to employ Mike Tomlin as his coach because he was afraid to fire him because, A, he was black, and, B, his father, Dan, hired him. Not because of the Rooney rule. That just got him in the door. They hired him because they were impressed by him, as well they should have been. Mike Tomlin is not going to get fired during the season. As much as you want that to happen, it's not going to happen. You're not firing a guy coming off a 13-3 and season in the middle of the following season. That's not going to happen. 
It just isn't. And we're going to get to A.B. There are a number of comments about him because I've asked you the question. He's back. He was there this morning like he's supposed to be. He met with Tomlin yesterday, we assume. What was said, we don't know. We may not find out. Do you think there'll be much of a crowd around A.B.? I don't know that he spoke to reporters this morning before practice, but the players are available after practice. So is Tomlin. We may have to wait until then if we find out anything at all. I still believe that this is this is a shock to the Steelers and Pittsburgh Western Pennsylvania system because this is not what we're used to from this franchise. And I think that has everybody in shock mode. What's it done nationally? It's gotten a lot of attention for that reason. High-profile players, but also because there's unrest in what has generally been a very stable franchise. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk and NBC Sunday Night Football will join us next. Savernon Sports on your home of the Steelers, ESPN Pittsburgh. This is where Steelers Nation plants its flag. SNR. Steelers Nation. Steelers Nation Radio. Here we go. This is Saverin on Steelers on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. He's a guy that always plays with a little chip on his shoulder. He's motivated, self-motivated, doesn't need to be in a certain offense, doesn't need to be with a certain coach. No, that's who A.B. is. He's one of the hardest workers on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, he's a wide receiver. He's got a little bit of deep in him, but shoot, they taking them everywhere. That's Chris Carter, but that is also beside the point. <laughs> There's a lot of great players who have a lot of talent work hard. Nobody's debating or disputing that, uh, but there are certain norms, uh, which he, uh, once again, has challenged and broken. We're joined now by Mike Florio. Uh, Mike is the founder of ProFootballTalk.com. You see him on uh, NBC Sunday Night Football. Uh, And Mike probably is closer to the Steelers' situation because he grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia. So um, he's he's in the region. Mike, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Stan, I'm doing great, buddy. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, It's my pleasure. Thank you. I I wanted to get you on today, Mike. Um, because I thought you really would represent the national perspective. I mean, teams talk about this. I mean, people talk about the Steelers because they're generally contenders. Uh, but I maintain that this, of course, is abnormal for a Steeler franchise overall that's looked on as a model of stability. And I think that's created a lot of the shockwaves. Well, I agree with you. And in a roundabout way, it's good for the team that there's been so much talk early in the season about guys like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown because it provides a great distraction to the fact that the defense is just bad, uncharacteristically bad, nothing like the defenses that we're accustomed to when it comes to Steelers teams of past years, and that's something that they need to get turned around or it's not going to matter whether it's Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Franco Harris, Lynn Swan, Terry Bradshaw, it's not going to matter if you can't stop the other team and all this other dysfunction I think has at least masked for now the bigger issue with the defense that just isn't very good. But it, but it doesn't help matters when things are going poorly to have these issues with Antonio Brown. And, and I'm frankly surprised, Stan, that it's taken as long as it has to come to a head because Antonio's always had that little bit of a chip, a little bit of a fire just below the surface. It's, he's never really gotten pushed all that hard in the past, 
and it's never really gotten to the point where it's exploded before. Yeah, the, when he posted up Tomlin's postgame comments in Kansas City after a playoff win, um, that was a big deal around here, but he got, I don't know. Well, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. But, but it seems like there's like a chronic thing now. Oh, yeah. always something. That was the one big thing. But, but since then, everything's been fine. But now it's like nothing's fine. Every day it's something new. Well, uh, I mean, there is. He's had sideline displays, uh, you know, before. He's uh, shown up quarterbacks. It was always passed off. Well, he's passionate. Um, there are 52 other guys in that room that want to win, too, um, who play by the rules. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, the, the general the consensus around here is, but I wonder the consensus on a national basis um, that indirectly this goes back to Tomlin because he's allowed it to occur uh, after the Kansas City thing, his quote was, well, what do you want me to do, not play him? They were heading into playing another playoff game. What do you want me to do, not play him? Um, this is only the third game of the season, although they haven't won one yet, uh, and I think a lot of eyes are on him. What will he do about yesterday's absence from practice? Yeah, and he made it clear he's going to talk to him, but I didn't get the impression he was all that upset. If anything, it sounds like he understands that this all comes from a positive reality that Antonio wants to win and you know he's not going to talk publicly about it privately he's got to be beside himself because it is a reflection on him and you know Stan I don't want to sound like Terry Bradshaw here I mean I think Mike Tomlin has done great things as coach of the Steelers but you know for me that the, the biggest the biggest uh, problem emerged last year in that Patriots game when they had three minutes and 20 seconds of real time between the Jesse James touchdown and the announcement that it's not a touchdown and they just weren't disciplined. They had no plan. Yep. They took no advantage of that time. You know, Bill Belichick, down the other side of the field that day, would have taken every tick of the clock to make sure that they had four plays ready to go, uh, five plays ready to go if need be, every scenario buttoned up and nailed down. And, and that, that just was, to me, a sign that, that there are some flaws there. There are some great things about Mike Tomlin as a coach, but there are some flaws there. And now, in, you know, in how he's handling Antonio Brown and how Antonio Brown behaves moving forward, we're going to see whether or not he, he really can keep things under control at a time when it seems to be ready to implode. You know, it, that a lot of people around here have questioned his game day decisions, his clock management. Those are absolutely legitimate. Um, they seem to be at a crossroads now. A, a couple of things I wanted to mention. Does, do you, uh, as a national commentator, and whatever consensus you've been able to draw from reading other people, talking to other people, uh, a lot of people here think he's lost the team. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would say he's lost the team. I, I just think that this is the culmination of several years of, of underachievement and the frustration that goes along with it. And it, there's just, you know, you got to be able to say the right thing at the right time, do the right thing at the right time, and it all kind of builds and builds and builds. I think it's way too early to say he's lost the team. I just think he's never been quite like in a situation like this before, and he's not quite sure what to do to get out of it. It's interesting about him because, again, people think that he's a player's coach. Um, maybe he is to a degree, but I've been pretty close to both he and Cowan. I said this before on the air, in observing both of them for a number of years, Bill Cowher was much more a player's coach than Tomlin ever was. But I think, you know, Cowher, because of his persona with the jaw and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I think he gives a perception to come off a, as a tougher guy. And I've talked to former players who played for both, and they would agree. They thought that Bill Cowher was more, whatever this means, a player's coach than Tomlin is. 
Yeah, and I agree with you. And I remember when Bill Carroll arrived in 1992. He was in his mid-30s, one of the youngest coaches in NFL history, and he was that player's coach. And, you know, that's the thing about a guy who's a player's coach. For the most part, as he gets older, he stops being a player's coach. But Tomlin's had that reputation. He's had that persona. And that gets back to the Terry Bradshaw criticism, that Mike Tomlin is very good at getting the players in the right mindset to play, to giving, getting them the right attitude that they need. But, you know, that's just part of it, as we've seen. There's an X's and O's component. There's a strategic component. There's a disciplinary component. And some of those things may be lacking at times. And, and we're seeing that, you know, as the Steelers get farther removed from the most recent Super Bowl win, I think that, that maybe it's becoming more and more pronounced. You know, it's interesting about the, the discipline he has on occasion. Um, he suspended Santonio Holmes before a very big game against the Giants in 08. year they won the Super Bowl. He suspended Mendenhall. Uh, he suspended Martavis Bryant last year. Um, but a lot of people think that because Brown, unquestionably, or maybe some would question, is uh, the best receiver in the game, he does work very hard. Uh, he's a great talent that he gets special treatment, and I'm wondering if that's the way you run a football team or if that is just the way things are. You know, a guy who get, hits 330 uh, is going to get a little more latitude than the guy who's hitting 240. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, talent goes a long way to buying guys' excuses, and you're going to have a longer leash if you are a guy who's regarded as one of the best players on the team. And for as long as Le'Veon Bell's going, that makes Antonio Brown even more important than, than he would be under normal circumstances. I mean, really, it goes Brown to Smith-Schuster to really who in that offense. And I know James Conner had a great show in Week 1. He wasn't horrible in Week 2, but still, Brown is clearly the top offensive team option for Ben Roethlisberger, so I think that does help. The other thing, too, you mentioned some of those past suspensions. One of the things I never can quite figure out with the Steelers is who's making those decisions. Is it Mike Tomlin? Is it Art Rooney? Who's making these decisions like that, that they're going to sit a guy down for a week? And how much power does Mike Tomlin really have? I mean, we know that Bill Belichick runs the show in New England, and we know with other coaches when they're fully in charge. I never do quite know exactly how much power Mike Tomlin has day-to-day. Well, it's interesting. Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. My sense has always been when it comes to that, unless it involved an off-field incident, uh, I would think, uh, and I don't know, but my guess would be from just observing that if a guy runs afoul of the law, let's say, then the organization would have something to say about that. Uh, if it's merely a matter of football, then I'm going to guess that Tomlin would hold sway over discipline in-house, if you will. Yeah, but this thing with Brown, it's really not football. It's kind of a combination. It's off-field antics that make their way into the locker room, on the sidelines, the social media realities. I mean, how much of that becomes a football thing? How much of that becomes a front office type of an off-field thing? I mean, this is a unique problem for the Steelers to have a guy who, you know, just it, and it really ramped up, I think, with the the comments he had about the ESPN writer on social media, yep. the reaction to that. He had that rambling statement on Friday where his, his message seems to be just basically people are jealous of me because I'm successful. Well, it's taken eight years to figure that out. And it just seems like something is bothering him that keeps bubbling up. You know, when you're dealing with somebody at work or at home where there's some deeper issue that, that is bugging them and it's manifesting itself with irritations and incidents, at some point, I think they just got to sit down with him and say, Antonio, what, what's wrong? Tell us what's wrong uh, and so, so we can address it, because the root cause of whatever is, is contributing to these incidents, I think, is something they need to identify and address. 
I am told by a source that that um, is is part of the issue. Um, but then again, not showing up um, Monday is probably not the best way to to address that. Uh, moving on, Mike, because I want to ask you about a bunch of things. Um, did the Steelers make a mistake in not giving Le'Veon Bell what he asked for, although he has been known, or his agent has been known, to move the goalposts um, because they had agreed to a contract in 16, and then at the last minute he backed out. Um, does a team have to hold its ground? Um, and how do you see this whole thing playing out? Well, you know, I think the Steelers made a mistake by not swooping in and getting Le'Veon Bell signed to a new contract at the earliest possible point that they could after his third year in the league under the CBA that was finalized in 2011. That's when you can re-sign a guy. They should have seen where this was going. They should have realized the franchise tag was going to be higher than the market would suggest for running backs, $12.1 billion last year, and then he gets the 20% raise this year. He's looking at, well, of course, he's not shown up yet, so he's not getting that money. He created a tough spot for the Steelers. And, and you know, the problem is, here's where they have themselves to blame. The rules that they impose on players when it's time to negotiate contracts, the idea that they won't put guaranteed money, fully guaranteed money, into the second year of a contract. Well, when you're looking at a guy who's got $14.54 million on the books this year, and he knows he's going to the market next year because they won't use the franchise tag a third time and be in a position where they have to pay him quarterback money by rule, then why is he going to take a deal that pays him even something in the neighborhood of, of that $14.5 million fully guaranteed? He wants a guarantee in the second year. And I think that's why we're not seeing him. And I don't think we're going to see him until the Tuesday after Week 10. Once he starts skipping regular season games, he is essentially using those missed paychecks as an insurance premium that helps guarantee the payday he's going to get next March. And he can miss 10 of those checks and miss 10 of those Sundays when he would otherwise be banged around with 30-plus touches, and he's made the calculated business decision. He's going to take that risk, and then he's going to hit the market next year. And a lot of people are saying, oh, he's not going to get 15. Oh, he's not going to get 17. Look, how many times does a truly great player get to the open market? We see a lot of average players get to the open market and get paid a ton of money. This is going to be a rare, great player who gets to the market, and all it takes is one team to break the bank. And I think that come next March, there's going to be people saying, holy crap, I can't believe somebody paid Le'Veon Bell that much money. I'm wondering that if he goes the maximum amount of time he can and still get the ability to accrue this season, what the Steelers will do with him at that point. At that point, they'd only have him for six regular season games and a potential playoff game if they get there. Um, I'm wondering if they just rescind the tag, don't pay him anything, or if it may depend what their record is or how James Conner's performing. Well, and you know, that's the, the risk that Le'Veon Bell continues to take week in and week out, that they can rescind the tender at any time. Now, back in March, I sat down with Kevin Colbert at the league meetings, and, and he wouldn't rule out rescinding the tag, but I don't think there was anything strategic there. I just think his attitude is we never rule out anything. More recently, it's been reported they're not going to rescind the tender. But, you know, if you start winning games and James Conner is playing well, maybe you ask yourself, do we really want this $855,000 per week headache at the back end of the season? When you're going to have a guy who may have a hamstring injury that is going to keep him from playing when in any other year it wouldn't have. Right. Maybe a guy who's got headaches or concussion-like symptoms that keeps him out of a game. And, you know, Stan, here's the other thing, too, and I made this argument back in January because the window on – a long-term deal reopens at the end of the regular season. So the Steelers could sign him to a new contract, a long-term contract, right after Week 17. And when you look at what, what 
the playoff share is, how much you make wild card round, division round, it's peanuts. And I thought Le'Veon Bell was thinking about walking out last year in the postseason, and I would not be surprised at all if he walks out this year in the postseason. What are they going to do? His contract's up anyway. See you later. Oh, I don't get my playoff check. Goodbye. I'm out of here. I'm hitting the open market in March. And after everything's gone on already this year, it won't surprise me if they get to the playoffs with Bell, if he says at right after week 17, the only way I'm playing is if you sign me to a long-term contract right now. Hmm. That would be an amazing scenario, and I think I think you're right. Um, even if they even if they were to uh, rescind the tag at some point, whether they worked out a trade or whether they just became a flat out free agent, um, he's already said his agent did anyway. He's worried about next year. So you're right. I mean, the the, the kid's been a warrior. There's no question about that. But with that backdrop, he could say. Oh my hamstring! Oh my, you know, I, I my ankle hurts. Whereas before, naturally he would play, but now he's he's worried about next year. And that's why I wonder if any team would be interested in signing him this year because he's he wants to protect his body for next year. Well, and see, here's the thing, and I think this is one of the reasons why he ultimately stayed away week one. The Khalil Mack contract that the Bears signed it shows that even at the brink of the regular season, you can pay a guy market value. And I think if the tender would get rescinded, one of these teams out there like the Jets would put together a gigantic pile of money and sign Le'Veon Bell right now to, to the contract that would be close enough to the one that he thinks he's going to get next March. And I think the MAC contract was proof positive that if that player becomes available and you don't have to give up first-round picks to get him. I mean, look, the, the Bears made MAC the highest-paid player on the defensive side by a million dollars a year and gave up two first-round picks. How much would they have given if they didn't have to give up the first-round pick? Sure. So I think Bell is confident that if he hits the open market, he's going to get paid now something close to what he would get paid next March. Or, you know what, he can just sit out the rest of the year and say I'll be available in March to the highest bidder. You need to have maximum flexibility. And, uh, uh, you know, it, we've again, whatever, whatever circumstance it is, whether it's now during the season, whether it's next March, it's rare to have a guy that accomplished who is available, no strings attached. And the problem for the Steelers, because I know they don't want to set bad precedents, and they like to have their rules, and they don't want to deviate from them. Sometimes you got to look at the circumstances. you got to ask yourself, you know, we're not going to get anything for this guy. He's going to walk away. We'll get a compensatory draft pick consideration in 2020. What if we could, could flip him now? What if we could work out a deal where there's a team out there that is willing to pay what he would want to play this season? Because I think at a certain dollar value, he will say, I'll go play this season and I'll play hard. What if there's a team that would do that and the Steelers get something in return for him now, but they just don't seem to be interested in even considering that possibility? Let me, last thing, Mike, let me make sure I grasp this. Uh, aren't the financial terms of wherever he plays this year set in stone based on the franchise tag at a pro-rated level of 14.5? Actually, that's one of the misconceptions about the franchise tag. Once the window closes in the middle of July, yep. the only prohibition is signing the player to a long-term deal. That's it. You can offer him more for this year. You can offer him different terms. There have been franchise tag players in the past, for example, like Albert Hainsworth. He stayed with the Titans, and after the, after the window closed, he signed a deal that had terms in it that would allow him to become a free agent, unrestricted with no use of the franchise tag. So the only limitation is it can be a one-year deal. They could offer him more money. And, again, they're not willing to do it, but they could offer him more money. And obviously, if the tag's rescinded, he's open to be signed 
at any amount by any other team that wants him. But but that mid-July deadline only applies to the duration of the deal. The Steelers at any time could say, I understand that this rate of 855000 a week isn't enough for you to justify taking the risk of being used 35 times a game. So how about a rate of $18 million? How about a rate of $20 million? How about something more and uh, see if he'll take it? But, but they just don't really do that. All right. That's... Um... Something else to consider, among uh, among other things. One last thing: despite the awful start and the, you know their defense and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure you've seen Baltimore, you've seen Cincinnati. Um, I don't know if the Steelers will be able to turn it around. To me, they still look like the best team in the division. Yeah, I think they do look pretty good. I think the Ravens are better than people realize. They they got caught flat-footed early last Thursday night against the Bengals. It was a tough hole for them to dig out of. I think all three of those teams. Are, are teams to be taken seriously. And if, if week one from the Browns was any indication, now I know last year when the Browns went over 16, they played the Steelers tough twice, but they tied the Steelers. We'll see what they can do against some of these other teams. They had the Saints on the ropes. I mean, maybe the, maybe the Browns are going to be a factor as well. Maybe it's going to be like that year, that year when all four teams were four and five after nine games. Maybe yep. that's what we're going to have in the, <laughs> in the uh, AFC North this year. Well, that's why the tie was good, because we'll be spared a lot of the tiebreaker stuff that we have to deal with. Uh, at the end of the year, if it works out that way, unless Baltimore and Cincinnati tie a game at some point down the road. Hey, Mike, I really enjoyed talking. Thanks for uh, you know giving us this amount of time. Uh, great conversation. We'll be watching for you, and we'll be looking, uh, reading profootballtalk.com. All right, thanks, Dan. See you, buddy. All right, take care. All right, Mike Florio with some uh, interesting insight. I wanted to get a national perspective on this. Uh, I want to give some perspective to Antonio Brown. Uh, I think a lot of people are giving him a pass um, because he's an accomplished player. But even accomplished players have to play within the confines of the team concept. We're going to talk with Jerry Dulac about the issue. There's any updates. He's been at the Steeler facility since this morning. Uh, the Steelers will be heading out to practice. Uh, if they're not there already, they will be shortly. Uh, all that ahead, Jerry Dulac today at 1.00. Uh, Rob King today at 120. Your 24-7 home of the black and gold. This is Stephon Tewitt of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you're listening to Steeler Nation Radio. People, I'd imagine, spend a lot of time, particularly in the offseason, um, working to minimize Antonio's impact in football games, particularly people that you play at the early portions of the year and they get the schedule and they know that they're going to see you. So, you know, I wouldn't overreact in any way in terms of what's transpiring with his usage or things that people are doing to defend him. Well, he's still getting plenty of activity, and no question about that, as I mentioned. Second most targets in the NFL. So clearly he's still part of the offense, and Ben goes to him maybe, maybe to a fault. Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network joins us now as he does every Wednesday here on Saverin on Sports. He's sponsored by Frankie Fuhr Wholesale and the Clubhouse in Gibsonia, serving Yingling Lager, 16-ounce draft, 225 all day Saturdays. How are you, Jerry? Stan, I'm, I am fine. And, you know, to your point about the targets, um, you know, like all top receivers in the league, those guys, uh, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, T.Y. Hilton, they all receive special attention and special coverages from defensive coordinators. And you look at every one of them, 
uh, Antonio Brown's catch percentage, which is 54.5, 33 targets, the most of any player in the National Football League. Um, his catch percentage is better than Julio Jones, who's 53.5. It's the same as T.Y. Hilton's, and it's just below Odell Beckham. So it's not uncommon for the top receivers to have coverage, and to be, it's tougher to complete passes to them. It's these other guys who get to run free in the secondary who have better catch percentages. So what we're seeing with Antonio Brown in the Steeler offense, it's not like he's not lacking for attention, and it's not surprising that his catch percentage is what it is relative to all the other top receivers in the league. It is interesting, though. That's very true. But his Re- uh, I'm looking for the right term. Reception percentage compared to targets, you know, balls caught versus targets, um, is way down from past years. Uh, well, that's what I'm talking. That's what I'm talking about. His catch percentage, Stan, and it, I mean it's down, but it's not inordinately down. Last year it was 61 percent, and this year, right now, let's face it. He first of all, he's coming off a preseason in which he didn't play, and he was bothered by that that hip slash groin injury. And, he's, and you're also talking about a quarterback who admittedly hasn't been very sharp early in the year. Maybe that's because of not a lot of activity in games uh, in the preseason. So it's only two weeks, but his, his catch percentage isn't inordinately down uh, even, even from last year. Well, let's, let's talk about what, what happened yesterday um, and what's happened today. As you tweeted out, um, he, he was there. Um, a lot of the players were available to the media. This is Ben's day to talk, if not to practice. Um, do we know for sure that Tomlin did talk to Antonio Brown yesterday? Did Brown say anything? Do you anticipate he'll say something after practice today? Yeah, Stan, obviously I, I don't know for certain, but I only can imagine that he talked to him yesterday because if Mike Tomlin summoned him in, which he did, and Antonio Brown uh, uh, showed up today, then that means they had a conversation because if they didn't have a conversation, I don't think he would have showed up today after being summoned in. So I can only assume that he did. Uh, Antonio Brown, whether there's a, a, a maelstrom of, of drama going on or not, uh, you know, his, his MO is he doesn't speak until Fridays. Um, you know, I don't know that he will put his head in the locker room after practice. I'm sure people will try to approach him and maybe he will speak, but, Typically, he only speaks one day a week, and, and that's Friday uh, afternoon. So we'll find out after practice. It hasn't started yet, so there's not a whole lot I can convey in that regard as to what's going on. Um, but we'll find out after practice what Antonio Brown's uh, plans are. My guess is he will not speak, but who knows? Well, I know that you'll probably not sleep well Thursday night in wild anticipation. Um, no, uh, Dan, I'd just, well, I'll probably just stay up. I, okay. might even, I might even get a hotel room here right down the street so I can be the first one here on Friday. There you go. Now you're talking. Uh, so right. we, we know where to find Jerry Dulac on Thursday <laughs> Absolutely. night. Absolutely. <laughs> um, is it possible, uh, you know, whatever happened, you know, he, he, we know he got fined for the Facebook business. Uh, we don't know what has happened now. I think, again, I want to point out, because Jerry makes the point, I think people need to understand that, Tuesdays are days off for the players, unless they have to come in and get medical treatment. You see a lot of them there. They're getting you know, worked on by the trainers and whatever. Um, that's their day off. So for Tomlin to summon him on a day off, um, that means that you know, he meant business. 
Is it possible that even though Antonio Brown is there, we assume he's going to practice today, that Tomlin could still deactivate him for Monday night's game as a form of punishment? Absolutely, Stan. And, and, and it's also possible that he could not start him and sit him out for a half. Um, you know, I heard our friend Merrill Hodge say this this morning uh, on DVE, and he was saying he has to think that most teams, including the Steelers, have a set punishment for certain offenses, including missing a team meeting, <laughs> skipping a day of work, and that there is some form of set punishment. You do that, you don't play the following week, or you do that, you sit out for so long. I, I guess that's what's w- what we're going to find out. You know, Stan, you and I have talked about this before, whether on the air or off the air. And, and I think what Mike Tomlin needs to do, because let's face it, there is this perception, not only national, uh, locally, but uh, probably more so nationally, that he has this reputation of being undisciplined. And what's our favorite, favorite uh, uh, subject line we hear all the time? He's lost control of the locker room. I can promise you he never has, and in and, 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 and my opinion, never will. There's no such thing with Mike Tomlin's teams. But I will say this. To me, I think he has to take more of a public stance to rebuke and reprimand players who make very public missteps. When you are going to embarrass the organization or you are going to do something that calls your authority into question as a coach, then to me, publicly, you need to take a stand. Okay, it's nice to say we handle these matters internally, but unless you don't care about your organization's reputation and image or you as a coach, your reputation or image, then, um, then, then you do it quietly. But I just think in, in some of these circumstances, he needs to come out, pound the, pound the table, say that's not going to happen, we're not going to tolerate that. But he doesn't do it that way. But in some instances, including this one, I think he needs to come out and make a statement as to what they're going to do, or the organization does one way or the other. All right, that brings up a very good point. Uh, just before you were on last hour, I had in Mike Florio because I wanted. I saw you had him on. Yes. Yeah, I, I wanted a national perspective because there's a lot of chatter in all the shows. Uh, right. Damian Woody saying, "Where's Mike Tomlin?" And um, Florio brought up the question. Uh, you mentioned the organization. Do you think that he? Mean Tomlin um, is in consultation with either Kevin Colbert or, in this particular case, Art Rooney. My answer was that if it's like with Santonio Holmes, because he was caught with marijuana and all that, if it's something that's sort of off the field related, uh, you know, I've got a lot of criticism. I say, well, how did the internal group deal with Ben? You know, Ben's thing was off the field, and the league dealt with that. Um, right. And the Steelers organization supported that penalty when he got the six-game suspension. But do you at all think that Art Rooney, because one of the things we're seeing, and I don't know how much it matters to Art, but one of the, I think one of the shocking things, Jerry, why this has got uh, is so incendiary, I, I really believe if you lit a match and throw it on the ground at the point, the entire city would incinerate. I mean, I've never seen it on, on tender hooks like this before. It's because this is not what fans around here expect from the Steeler organization. It's just been so stable. This is shocking in that nature. And I wonder if Art Rooney will step in here, or do you think that's not in his nature? Well, Stan, I couldn't agree with you more. And and uh, I could promise you that Art Rooney is very much involved uh, in, in everything that goes on daily, but especially, especially these issues. When it comes to these issues, 
If Art Rooney feels strongly, it doesn't matter what Mike Tomlin thinks. It's, it's their team. They make their decisions. The coach works for them, and it's very simple. The coach doesn't run the organization. So I can promise you that that happens. But I agree. Organizationally, I think they need to take a stand at some point and, 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 and do something and, and come out and comment about it because uh, this continues to happen in different forms. Look, it's not the most egregious sin what he did, but from a team standpoint, you know, you skip a day of work and don't call anybody and tell anybody. You know, that, of course, as we know, is symptomatic of Antonio Brown. He feels he can do whatever he wants. And I can promise you, Stan, there are several players in that locker room who just cannot believe that that continues to go unpunished in some form or another. A fine doesn't work. What's $25,000 or whatever the number is to a guy who makes millions? That isn't how you get their attention. You get their attention by hitting them where it hurts, and that's playing time. You know, it's a blow to their ego. It's, letting, it's, it's them understanding, hopefully, that they have let their teammates, teammates down, which is the greatest sin any team player can have, that you let your teammates down by some selfish or irrational act. And, and so, to me, I think for the sake of the organization's image and reputation, and, may, and while that might sound simplistic or, or maybe not that big a deal, uh, I disagree. I, I think at some point in time, with all this that goes on, uh, they need to make a very public stand. Well, that's, that was my next, my next question. Uh, you're in the locker room much more frequently than I am. Um, and I'm wondering, like today we heard Ben say, well, you know, A.B.'s just a competitor and he wants to win. Well, every guy in that locker room wants to win. Absolutely. Every Absolutely. guy in that locker room is a competitor. You don't get to that level just on athletic skill alone. So, uh, you know, I'm wondering, um, I- I'm wondering, and just sort of gave us an you know, indication of, of what, what the players think uh, about this. You know, we talk about this being an unstable time for the um, – I made the point, and I wanted to just back you up on that. I made the point, of course, get a lot of blowback from people who wanted Tomlin fired sometime in May. Um, <laughs> but um, he's never lost a team. They've gotten off the bad starts before, um, and they didn't always have a winning record, and they didn't always make the playoffs. Or when they did make the playoffs, the end certainly were what they wanted or what anybody around here wanted. But you see teams, especially ones that are expected to win, get off to bad starts, and the bottom falls off. Never happened with him. Um, and they continue to play hard and, and kind of right the ship. But I'm wondering if something this internal might jeopardize that, or will Tomlin prevail in this regard if, as you say, the players are upset about this? You know, yeah, I don't know how many of them are. I could just promise you that there, there, are, uh, there are several who think, uh, you know, that this stuff needs to go. Uh, you know, you can't continue to go. Uh, unpunished because it's repeated acts. But again, this one, you know, all this stuff, you know, the stuff on social media. So he says things he shouldn't say. I, I'm, I'm not dismissing it because I don't care for any of it. But th- th- those aren't things that affect the team. But when you don't show up when everybody else does, that affects the team. And, you know, Stan, you look at it. This isn't the first incident. This is now the second in, in, in the past three weeks because you had this very same type of uh, you know, a team be damned, uh, you know, selfish move being made by uh, Le'Veon Bell. And these are two of their stars. And so at what point in time do you just kind of allow that behavior that I'm going to do what I want to go unpunished? Again, they can't do anything with Le'Veon Bell right now. We'll see when he comes back what happens when he signs that tender. But there's nothing they can really do there. But they, 
they they can do something uh, uh, with Antonio Brown, and I'm not. They're not going to suspend him. Look, they don't want to do that because now the players' union uh, gets involved. But you can sit him down. You can deactivate him. You know, they, you brought up Santonio Holmes before. I know I, I made that point yesterday that they they sat him down in 2008 after the marijuana arrest because they felt he was a distraction to the team. Not because he got arrested for marijuana, which everybody wants to say, oh, these are two different sins. No, that's not the point. They sent him home because they said they didn't want him being a distraction. Well, guess what? However you want to slice it, for whatever reason, Antonio Brown is a big distraction to them right now. And so if they would just sat, sit him down, it wouldn't shock me uh, at, at all if, if that happened. Well, that may be the best of both worlds. You know, just I, I don't know if you – you know, I've seen that with college coaches. Okay, you're not playing the first play, uh, you know, against Alabama AM and yeah. N, You know, it's uh, – uh, but, but you know, a half, whatever, um, just to send a message. The, the last thing I'll ask you, Jerry, Cam Hayward said this on DVE Tuesday morning, um, and we talked about it yesterday, that Tomlin was scheduled to talk to AB yesterday, and Hayward said, I'm going to talk to him too. Um, ben said he spoke with AB this morning, but I don't know that he said, hey, you got to cut this out. Um, but I, I'm wondering if you do expect team members upset who will take it upon themselves say, look, you know, it's the old story about we need all oars pulling the same way here. Right, right. I would stand, I would fully expect it, and I will go one step further and suggest that it should be done on the playing field. Okay, you want to be a little bit upset. Uh, you know, come off the field and maybe scream at somebody. But when you continue to have a yearly or maybe twice yearly tantrum against the offensive coordinator, for Lord knows what reason, is it his fault that he is the most targeted receiver in the National Football League? Is it Ben's fault that Ben is trying to get the ball to Antonio Brown above all else? Of course not. So I don't know what it is that you're upset about. But when he does that and he tries to offstage people, where is the person to come up, somebody bigger than him, and tell him, shut your mouth and keep your focus on the game? You saw his body language when Ben scored that touchdown and dove for the pylon and everybody came running over, and, and there's Antonio Brown on the other side of the field just walking off slowly, never congratulated Ben on the sideline, just walking over with his shoulders down and his head down because he was moping off the field. Where are the players who get in his face when he screams at Randy Fittner to get over there and push him or just tell him, hey, shut up and sit down? Um, uh, you know, you can't just continue to have that going on. That's what happened to Terrell Owens. Uh, you know, he was a coach killer. And, and you don't want to have that kind of guy there. So to just, ex- to, to just pass it off, though, that he's a competitor and he wants to win, as you said earlier, Stan, they're all competitors. They all want to win. That doesn't give you a pass to behave the way you do. And I think somebody needs to not only talk to him in the locker room, I think they need to yell at him on the football field. Well, it's time coming. I, I Somebody put up a picture of the 2008 Steelers defense, and they, they were a great, great defense. The year they won the Super Bowl, they were tremendous, and James Harrison, defensive player of the year. But they also had really strong leadership among several of those guys, and I just wonder how they might have dealt with a player who acted out. And somebody brought, well, Ben, you know, he had his motorcycle thing, and then the, the business in Georgia – um, you know, I, I don't know that that's the equivalent, however, of what, what I agree. I, I just don't think it's the same thing. All right, Jared, good stuff. Uh, you know, stay tuned over there. Um, I'll be calling the hotel and just to talk to you on Thursday <laughs> night, see how you're doing. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for checking in on me.
you know, I'm going to go inside right now and make sure I get that room reserved. Yeah, get a get a reservation. By the way, you might run into a guy trying out to punt too. <laughs> well, they've already had those guys in, so we'll I, see how that goes. I know, I know. Hey, Jared, thanks very much. All right, Stan, good chat. Yeah. All right, same here. Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. The pulse of Steelers Nation. This crowd loves it. You're listening to Steelers Nation Radio.